Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. I want to minister a word to you tonight that truly comes from a place in my life that I feel, you know, there's moments as pastors, you don't normally get these words. Um, as pastors, at moments, you, you know, you kind of go from week to week. <clears throat> For the most part, I'm, I'm in a, a season where I'm having to prepare two to three sermons a week. And so you just kind of have a sermon and you move on, you know. <clears throat> but there's a message that God has put in my heart that I, I cannot escape. And I believe it's a prophetic message for this year. I believe it's a prophetic message for KC. And I believe it's a prophetic message for you. And that God wants us to be prepared. I don't, I really truly, I really truly believe God doesn't want you to miss it. How many of you guys believe that God has great things in store for you? Come on, how many of you guys got some incredible prophetic words? How many of you convinced God's going to do some wonderful things in your life? But how many of you say, I don't want to miss it? Come on. Anybody here just want to miss what God has for you? Like, Pastor, I don't, I don't really care. I don't really care. I'm, I'm, I'm good with missing it. How many of you say, I don't want to miss it? Come on, I don't want to miss it. Come on, say that with me. I don't want to miss it. <laughs> Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, there's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, upon uh, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You know, there's, can I just say, there is so much to this parable. I mean, you could dissect this parable and pull out so many, extrapolate so many wonderful, amazing things, <clears throat> but I think it's imperative. I just want to point out a few things tonight that you can take home and, and really, I, this is what I, I want to see happen, that this week as you apply, because this is what I believe, if this week you can apply some of the revelations we receive tonight, God's going to give you victory. God's going to give you breakthrough. And if you can just take it week by week, I'm telling you, you're going to see miracles in your life. You're going to see a shifting and a transformation. So we have to understand there's a few things really before we get into the meat of the text. There's a few things we have to understand. Number one, we have to realize this is a parable. And, and through parables, Jesus would reveal hidden truths about the kingdom of God. It's almost like Jesus would say, you want to know about the kingdom of God? You want to know? Well, listen up. Here we go. And he would share these parables that would reveal the heart of God, the character of God, how the kingdom of God works. But see, Jesus would also speak through parables 
to create a narrative that is relevant to his listeners, to the culture of his listeners. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. It's because Jesus begins to talk about the wedding and a Jewish wedding. See, a Jewish wedding has three different aspects to it that are very, very important to understand. Number one, there's the purchasing. Number two, there's the covenant. And number three, there's the return. Everybody say it with me. There's a what? The purchasing, there's the what? The covering, and there's the return. See, what would happen is the fathers, the father of the bride, the father of the groom would get together. They would make an arrangement. As a matter of fact, the father of the groom would actually purchase the bride. It wasn't just one of those things like, you like him, you like her, good, let's do this thing. There's a purchasing that had to take place. So then once the purchasing was done, they would do something, they would have a ceremony called the betrothal, and they would get together and they would make a covenant, they would make a commitment to be married, but they weren't truly married yet. They had a covenant, but they weren't truly married. So the first part we see is the purchasing. The second part, the betrothal, is the, the covenant. They made a covenant that they'd be faithful. That, that's what we see with Joseph and Mary. This is, this is the moment of the engagement that they were in, is they were betrothed to one another. They'd made a covenant, but they weren't truly married yet. But the third part is that the groom would leave for an entire year. This is crazy. After betrothal, now let me tell you something. This is just a personal side note. Let me just take a side step. I'm going to step off the stage for this one just real quick. I do not recommend a long engagement. Just, if you know, they're the one. Anyway, so, back on stage here. Well, what, would, what would happen is... The after the betrothal, the husband or the groom would go away and he would actually prepare a room for his bride. And normally this process was about a year long and he would actually create this room attached to his father's home and they would build out and he'd create this room preparing it for his bride and then he would return unannounced. So I want you to understand something. If you are part of the Jewish culture and you're hearing Jesus begin to share this story, it's profound because now Jesus is talking about the wedding and he's talking about this covenant, this purchasing and the return. And what's so profound is that Jesus was a fulfiller of all three of these aspects of the wedding. Number one, we were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus purchased you. Come on, somebody. You, he, Jesus did what was necessary to purchase you so that you would belong to him. Number two, he made a covenant with you. We have a new living covenant through Jesus Christ. But I love this. The third one, look at John chapter 14. Oh, this is good. Are you ready? John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For my father, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Come on, somebody. This is amazing. 
What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that I am the groom and my church is the bride and I have purchased you. I have made a covenant with you and I'm coming back for you, baby. And I'm going to come and I'm going to return. You know what's crazy? Can I tell you something? This is awesome. Because this is a huge deal. This is a big deal. Jesus is making a statement about himself. See, because in Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62, and Jeremiah 2, Hosea, we see something profound. That in the Old Testament, anytime you saw the word groom, it always referred to God. And every time you saw bride, it always referred to the people of God, the children of Israel. So now, for Jesus to declare himself the groom, He was making a massive statement. Jesus understood the metaphor of the bride and the groom. The picture of God and Israel and their relationship. But if you look at Mark chapter 2 verse 19. Oh, this is good. Are you ready for this? Mark chapter 2 verse 19. Jesus answered. How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with me? See, what, what was happening is these religious rulers... We're criticizing Jesus and his disciples, saying, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus' response is, how, how can the bridegroom fast while they're with the groom? They can't, so long as they are with him. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. What was Jesus saying? Can I, can I just make sure you all understand something? Jesus was very aware of who he was and what he came to do. Jesus made in that statement a declaration of who he was, that he was the groom and that the church is now the bride. You are the bride. Jesus is the groom and he's coming back for us. He's preparing a place for us and he's coming back. That's amazing. And we've got to make sure that we don't miss him. Now, I, 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 don't want, I don't want to miss this because I want you to hear. This is very important because I am talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will return for his bride, and he's coming, friends, and you better be ready. You better be a bride that is watching and praying and waiting for the groom. But at the same time, you know what I also believe? I believe that there are times that we can miss God. It's imperative that we understand the main thrust of this parable. That Jesus is coming back. But I don't also, I also don't want to miss him. Can I just, can I just be honest with you? Can I, can I take, a, take a moment to be transparent? There are times where I've just flat out missed God. It's like God opened up a door for me. And I missed it. I'll be honest with you. There are times where I straight up slammed it on his face. Whether because of my own inadequacies, my own frustration, my own dysfunction, my own unawareness. I had issues. And there's been moments I've missed God. I don't want you to miss God. 
Because God wants to do amazing things in you and through you and for you. And if you're not careful, you live a life unaware, preoccupied with all these other things. And you'll miss the miracles that God wants to provide for you. You'll miss the moments that God, these divine moments that God has ordained for you to step into prophetic moments. So we've got to be determined to say, God, I don't want to miss you in my everyday life. Not just the second coming of Jesus, but I don't want to miss you tomorrow morning when you set up a divine appointment for me. I don't want to miss you tomorrow when you do something miraculous in my life. I don't want to miss what you're doing in my marriage. I don't want to miss what you're doing on my job and in my business. I don't want to miss you, Lord. So in this, we see what Jesus is saying about himself. We see these three aspects of a wedding, the purchasing, the covenant, and the return. But I think it's important that we note that Jesus in this story is putting an emphasis on the bridesmaids. And let me tell you how we know that. Well, number one, we understand this story says that there were 10 virgins And we have to realize that as Jesus is speaking to that culture, they all understand two very important things. Number one, they understand that that's a monogamous culture. Who Jesus was talking to, they weren't polygamous. They were monogamous. That means they believed in one husband, one wife. So that culture at that moment as Jesus is sharing this, They understand monogamy. So there wouldn't be just 10 virgins waiting out, 10 brides. Everybody understand? But secondly, we understand that they're bridesmaids by their responsibility. Because in that culture, the bridesmaids would be holding the lamps and waiting patiently. The bride wasn't waiting patiently for the groom. That was the bridesmaid's job. Isn't that interesting? That they would be there with lamps ready to usher in the groom. So we have to recognize, and I think this is important because sometimes if you look at this parable, you could misunderstand what's going on. That maybe Jesus is talking about the bride, but he's not. He's actually talking about the bridesmaids and their responsibility in the ushering in of the groom. But I have some questions. Anybody here, when you read the Bible, you have questions? Anybody here have I'm, I'm kind of like that. I look at stuff, I'm like, what? <laughs> G, 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 Jesus, what was that? Jesus said, what? Anybody ever do that? Like you're reading the Bible and say, whoa, Jesus, you just said what? I don't think you're allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> so I asked, I asked a couple questions. Number one, why 10? Well, like, well, why 10 virgins? If this is a monogamous culture, then why, why 10 virgins, Jesus? We have to realize something. First of all, <clears throat> the number 10 is significant because it represents the size of the wedding party. It's a statement of status. Not all wedding parties were big. If they were poor, if they were paupers, the wedding party would be very small. But if they had 10 bridesmaids, that was a big 
wedding. Anybody here ever have over 10 bridesmaids before in your wedding? Exactly. <laughs> Look at that. People are like, uh-uh, no, I don't want to buy that many dresses. No, no. So it actually symbolized status. So can I tell you why this is important? Because Jesus was not talking about just a plain old wedding. He was talking about royalty. He was talking about someone that held great position. I want you to understand this is a big deal. He's telling us this story. Guys, this is a big deal. They're not just waiting for some ordinary groom to show up. They're waiting for someone of great value and great importance. You know how many people watched Prince Harry? Is that his name? Is that his name? I don't know. Prince, is it Prince Harry? Do you know how many people watched their wedding? Crazy. I even watched their wedding. What in the world? Why would I even do that? I was like, what a beautiful dress. No, I just, I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. This was a big deal. This is, this is the wedding of royalty. This is the wedding of someone that carries great status. So I said, what, Lord, why 10? Secondly, why, why virgins, Lord? Because I, I realized as I begin to do a deep dive into this, that you don't have to be a virgin to be a bridesmaid. You don't. You don't have to be a virgin to be a bridesmaid. So, Lord, why, why were the bridesmaids, why did the bridesmaids have to be virgins, Lord? No, no, listen, some of this is speculation. Can I be honest with you? Some of this is we begin to understand. You, you have to do a deep dive into the culture to understand kind of what Jesus was talking about. Almost place yourself in that culture in that moment. But can I tell you what was so, to me, as I begin to study this, what was so profound to me is that even though you didn't have to be a virgin to be in the wedding party. The interesting thing is that virgins wouldn't have been preoccupied with other responsibilities. They wouldn't have had kids that they had to wait upon. They didn't have another husband that they had to wait upon. That, that there are no other pressing issues, family matters, and other things that they had to attend to. That their attention could be fully and completely on the coming of the groom. Friends, we have to be careful that we don't become so preoccupied with this world. Now, I'm not telling you to neglect your children or neglect your spouse. But friends, we got to be people that watch what we're becoming preoccupied with. What we're putting our attention on. Because God is waiting for people. He needs people that said, Lord, our hearts, our minds, our everything, our set on you. But we had another problem. I'm extremely patient. <clears throat> I am. I'm a very patient person, except for when I'm driving and eating. Anybody know? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, let's be real. issues man when I'm driving I need Jesus I'm like I've prayed my kids have laid hands on me they cast out stuff <laughs> yeah Jesus touch my daddy I'm, just, I'm driving get out of the way I look in the rear view mirror there's my daughter just like oh, Jesus in the name of Jesus I'm so when it comes to driving and eating I'm so impatient 
So I have a problem. Hey, I have a problem with this issue where Jesus is, is talking about the intentional, deliberate delay of the groom. It's irritating. But then you begin to understand something with the culture. So here, they have the purchasing, they have the covenant, the groom goes away for a year, and he begins to build this house and prepare a place for his bride, and then he returns to his bride unannounced. He returns to his bride unannounced. And I looked at this, I said, Lord, why would you do this? This delay is not helpful, Jesus. But you see, in a culture where majority of the marriages were arranged marriages, and it wasn't just family that knew family. There were even situations where a groom and a bride, the first time they had ever met, was at the moment of the betrothal. So can I ask you a question? How would you truly know that that person that you're betrothed to be married to, that you don't really even know them, you didn't grow up with them? Now, in some cases they did, but many cases they didn't. How would you even know that they truly loved you, that they truly desired you, that they were truly waiting for you? How would you even know? Delay. I want you to think about this for a moment. As the groom, as the groom is in this place of delay, and all of a sudden he returns, he gets to see the vigilance, he gets to see the patience, and he gets to see the passion of his bride. And so when he returns and he sees his bride waiting patiently, saying, oh, I've been waiting for you. You know what that shows him? It shows him her passion. Friends, can I tell you, sometimes as a church, there's Jesus, and he wants to do something. He wants to show up, but he's intentionally, he's deliberately called to cause a delay, because what there is, you're going through a testing time in your life. God wants to test the vigilance, the patience, and the Passion of your heart. So it's, isn't it interesting? Now, isn't it interesting that when you go through a season of delay? Huh. Okay, God, fine. You want to be like that? You don't want to answer my, you don't want to answer my prophetic word right now? Forget you. Delay. You wait on, yeah. God, you don't, God, I don't wait on you. You wait on me. Snap, son. You know, see, you know what's so funny, though? All you guys are like, oh, that's horrible. You do it all the time. And there's, there's the Lord wanting to test the true depth of your love, the true depth of your passion for him. See, if we got everything all the time, would that truly be passion? It's in the delay. It's in the waiting and in that testing where God really gets to see the depth of your faith and the greatness of your passion, the magnitude of your passion. And in that moment, go, God, I don't see it right now, but I'm still going to love you. 
God, I know it's not, it's not happening right now, but I'm waiting on you because I believe that he who began a good work in me, he's faithful to complete it. I may not understand it right now. I may not see it right now. I may not even be able to comprehend it right now, but I'm waiting for you. And I'm going to say, I'm going to show myself faithful. I'm going to show myself passionate for you. I'm going to continue to desire you, even if it takes a little bit of time for me to step into the fullness of my prophetic word. Lord, I'm waiting on you. So we see these questions and what Jesus is stating, the, the statements he's making within this parable. But can I give you something else? I begin to get an understanding of these bridesmaids and their responsibilities, and I realize something. That at this moment, as people are surrounding Jesus, it's not just disciples, it's not just followers of Jesus or fans of Jesus. There's some religious rulers that are there listening in. And I can't help, I can't help, but when we begin to understand what the bridesmaid's responsibility was, I can't, I can't help but think maybe that Jesus is speaking to the religious rulers. Maybe Jesus is speaking to the pastors and the ministers. Maybe Jesus is speaking to the life group leader. Maybe, maybe Jesus is speaking to the ministry leader. I, I can't help but look at this and go, wow, these responsibilities. Jesus is saying something to me. It's not that he's just talking to a crowd. He began to pinpoint certain things. Like, for example, can I, as we look at the bridesmaid's responsibility, number one, the bridesmaids would wait for the coming of the groom. And when the groom would arrive, their main responsibility, their first responsibility was to rejoice and celebrate and make a big deal on the coming of the groom. They would go, oh my gosh, the groom, you're, I'm so glad you're here. Oh my goodness, we've been waiting for, I'm so glad you're here. You're amazing. You're awesome. Oh, you're so wonderful. That's what would be the responsibility of the bridesmaids. Number one, to welcome with great celebration. Welcome with great celebration the coming of the groom. But secondly, they would actually light the way. They would have lamps as they would welcome the groom they would now take those lamps and they would use those lamps. Are you ready? Watch this. They'd use those lamps to usher the groom and his party to the bride. That the, one of the main responsibilities was actually to usher the groom to the bride. Friends, can I tell you one of the greatest privileges that we have is to be a people that usher in the presence of God. Not just celebrate his coming. Not just worship him and thank him and be excited and rejoice. But to be a people that actually usher in the presence of God. Friends, you can't take worship lightly anymore. You can't take these moments when the presence of God shows up lightly and just say, oh, that's cute. We gotta celebrate it. We gotta rejoice. We gotta actually, we actually have to believe that it's important. 
And that we have to be a people that usher in his presence. But can I tell you, their third responsibility is that the bridesmaids not only would celebrate, not only would they usher the groom to the bride, but they would signal the groom's arrival to the bride. That means they would be the ones that would declare and shout and signal to the bride, the groom is here. Friends, can I ask you a question? How will they know unless uh, someone tells them? And how will they hear unless someone declares it? How will they know unless someone is sent? Friends, can I tell you, you are a people that have the incredible responsibility and the incredible privilege to get people ready, to get the bride, the church ready for the coming of Jesus, that we need to be continuously in this place to say, hey, bride, Jesus is coming back. Hey, church, Jesus is coming back. Hey, Alaska, Jesus is coming back. Can I ask you a question? Have you become a beacon of the king's arrival to Alaska? What an incredible privilege to tell Alaska Jesus is coming. What a great honor. Friends, we, we have to shift our thinking. What an incredible responsibility. And this is what scares me. And as we get into really the meat of this message, I just want to give you four things. Because if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we're going to be those who usher in the presence of God, if we're going to be like those bridesmaids and take up the mantle and the responsibility to be those who declare the goodness of the Lord, the arrival of the Lord that usher in his presence and gets Alaska ready for the coming of Jesus. Friends, and there's some things we've got to shift in our lives. If we're going to be people that are determined to say, I'm not going to miss God in my everyday life, then there's some things we have to shift in our life. Number one, let me give this to you quickly. Number one, we've got to confront complacency. The five foolish bridesmaids, their unreadiness, their unreadiness was indicative of their complacency toward their responsibility. <laughs> they didn't see their responsibility as that important. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. If, if the groom shows up, he shows up. It's not that big of a deal. They became complacent. They, they didn't understand the importance of their job and their responsibility. Even though, you know what's so sad to me? They were there, but they didn't have the right heart. Just, can we just talk about that for a second? Because <laughs> there's been some times in my life that I was there. But I didn't have the right heart. I was in the right place with the wrong heart. And you know the worst part about it is? I missed it. Somebody here needs to hear this tonight. You can be in the right place with the wrong heart and miss it. There's been times where I've been in church service and the presence of God is being poured out and people are getting blasted all around me and I'm in the same space as they are and the person next to me is rolling on the ground, laughing, crying, worshiping the Lord, getting touched by God and I'm just sitting there going, really? 
Same space. Wrong heart. <laughs> you can be right in the midst of revival and miss it. You can be right in the midst of God's plan and miss it because you got the wrong heart. We've got to confront complacency in our life. We've got to confront those areas of our life. Maybe it's, you know, friends, maybe some of you, bitterness has robbed you of receiving what God has for you. Disappointment. I don't know what it is that you're battling with. I don't know what it is that's causing complacency in your life. But friends, if we don't confront it, we can miss the great things that God has for us. So the first thing, just like those foolish versions, we, we, those, those foolish bridesmaids, we have to confront complacency. But secondly, we need to fill up. Want to look at that person next to you and say, fill up. But can I tell you something? I will never, ever, 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 ever run out of gas ever again. No, you got to understand. No, you have to understand. I will never run out of gas ever again. Can I tell you why? Anybody want to know why? Just someone look at me and say, why? why? Well, first of all, when I was a, when I was a young man, I, I got my license at 15 years old. As a matter of fact, I got my permit at 15. Three weeks later, I got my license. I don't know what they were smoking when they allowed that to happen. <clears throat> but anyways, and so I had this Ford Ranger XLT. You guys know what I'm talking about. The old, that's the old school. That green tint. You know what I'm talking about? One dollar. Anyways. And so, some people are looking at me going, I don't know what that was, but that was weird. <laughs> so, so what ends up happening, what ends up happening is I'm driving, I'm at a friend's house, and I'm driving from my friend's house back home. Now, you have to realize something. First of all, this was before cell phones existed. Actually, the, I, the only person I knew that had a cell phone was Zach Morris on back, uh, Saved by the Bell, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's the only person I knew that had a cell phone. So this was pre-cell phone days. But secondly, we have issues on Maui. There's this whole stretch of road that Maui decided not to put streetlights on. As a matter of fact, if you're not careful, you'll forget where you are. Like, I'm not lying because you can't see anything. And so that's the stretch of road that I ran out of gas on. I had no cell phone, no lighting, nothing, nobody around. It's late at night, and I'm stuck on the side of the road. No gas. And can I tell you, there was not a gas station for at least three miles. <sighs> So I started praying, Jesus, if you love me. <laughs> I know you never said that prayer. Jesus, if you truly love me, please help. Send somebody. And so I'm praying, and all of a sudden, this truck, that's my poor interpretation of a truck coming behind this truck comes behind me, one bus up Maui beater truck. I think there was more bondo than metal on the truck. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have one of those trucks? Come on. So you guys have some of those in Alaska. I've seen them. I've seen them. I've seen them. So all of a sudden, this truck comes up behind me, 
And this uncle, by the way, in Hawaii, all older men, we call uncles, okay? It's a sign of respect. So this uncle gets out of the truck, and he's kind of walking like this. He doesn't look too good. <laughs> Looks a little scary. Now, I made the mistake of watching a couple horror films when I was a kid. And every scene, there's like three of them, every scene that you can imagine started coming to my head. I'm like, this guy's going to kill me. I'm going to die. This is crazy. I was scared. And he comes to the window and he knocks on my window. I, at first, I didn't even want to look at him because he was scary. And I look at him and he goes, you need help? And so I rolled up my up and down window cranker. <laughs> Uncle, what's going on? He goes, oh, you need help. Like, no, I'm good. I'm not joking. I like made up all the kind of stuff I could think of. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, okay. Are you sure? Say, yeah, Uncle. And as soon as Uncle said, okay, all of a sudden this other car comes and pulls up behind Uncle's car. And it was an auntie from the church. Amazing grace. Now I'm telling you, I could walk on water. Jesus, take the wheel. All right. Got gas. I will never run out of gas ever again. Can I tell you right now? That was a life-altering experience. But you know, you know what's interesting is we're. We don't see it as important filling up. I got gas. Auntie wouldn't help me. I got gas. I made it home and I asked my dad for money. <laughs> oil through scripture has clearly, oil through scripture has clearly represented the Holy Spirit. We need to fill up. We need more of him. That's what, can I tell you, that's why I encourage people to pray in the Holy Spirit. Book of Jude says, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. God's desire is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But one of our issues is we leak. You leak. And so you have to continuously remain in this place to get filled up, constantly praying, constantly posturing yourself in this place to receive from the Lord and say, Lord, I need more of you. And can I, can I tell you, I got good news for you because the word of the Lord says, if, if you desired, how much more would he give us the spirit if we but ask? But you see, the, the problem we see in this parable is that the foolish virgins had just enough. The wise had more than enough. I love that. The wise had more than enough, but in their complacency, the five foolish bridesmaids only had just enough. You know what the problem is? Many theologians actually say that one of the reasons why is because they actually weren't prepared for the wedding. They just grabbed their lamps. That's what would have had to happen culturally if they just grabbed their lance and went and just said, well, if it happens, it happens. But you know what I love? I love the response of the wise bridesmaid. 
the foolish bridesmaids come and say, can we have some of your oil? And I love this. They say, get your own oil. Look at that person next to you and say, get your own oil. Can I tell you something? You cannot rely and depend upon Pastor Daniel's oil. You got to get your own oil. You got to get your own prayer life. You got to get your own word life. Come on, friends. I'm telling I can't rely upon Dr. Morocco's oil. I got to get my own oil. I got to get my own revelation. Now, I'm all about coming to church, and I'm all about the corporate setting of coming in and getting more. But, friends, you got to get your own oil. You got to get filled up. You've got to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You have to have a desire and a passion for more of the Holy Spirit. Get your own. One of the problems we see is in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the mind, of the, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the capital S Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone, now this is important, you need to, you need to underline this. <clears throat> and if anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Can I tell you why? Because that the oil of the Spirit is what keeps the flame and the passion for Christ burning in our lives. It is impossible to continue in a heart of Christ and for Christ without the person of the Holy Spirit. But the third thing that we see, we'll say confront complacency. Number one is what? Confront complacency. Number two is what? Fill up. Number three, you ready for this? Trim your wick. <laughs> Trim your wick. Now, I, want, I want you to understand this. This care of trimming the wick, it's very important. Because trimming the wick would draw new oil from the storage reservoir. As you, would, as you would make more room on that wick and get rid of, of the burnt, ashy part of the wick, it would actually draw from the reservoir. That the flame, are you ready for this? The flame would be clean and bright. A poorly trimmed wick creates a flame which is dim and smoky. How about this one? An untrimmed wick will shorten the life of the wick. I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. But the problem is, it'll cause that wick to burn out quicker. Can I, can I tell you something? Friends, this is why it's so important to walk in holiness and purity. There are things, there are areas of our life that we have to be disciplined to trim away. Things that cause a dimming of the fire and the power of God. Now, can I tell you something? I think too often the Holy Spirit's got a bad rep. You know why? People call the Holy Spirit sensitive. Well, the Holy Spirit, he's just sensitive. No, he's holy. 
can, can we just stop here for a moment? Can we just, can we take a, can I get, can I have like five more minutes? Is that okay? <laughs> I keep, I keep hearing that. I'm still, <clears throat> anyways. <laughs> Some of you have heard this. Look, can I tell you the, the problem? You know, you know why the Holy Spirit never indwelled in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit would move. The Holy Spirit would empower. The Holy Spirit would hover. But you couldn't indwell. You know why? Sin. And that's why after Christ, just like you said, Pastor Jim, after Christ died on the cross and he was risen and we received Jesus. See, because Jesus said, now the Holy Spirit can come the way I meant for him to come, because now you're made righteous and holy through me. So now the Holy Spirit can actually dwell in you because of Christ. The very intent of God was for the Holy Spirit not just to hover over our lives, but to indwell. But too often we settle for a hovering and not an indwelling. Why? Because we prefer to have our issues and our dysfunction and our sin and hold on to our pain. And it's not that the Holy Spirit's like, I don't like that. The Holy Spirit says, I'm holy. And I can only dwell in that which is. That's why the Bible says that in the house, there will be vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. We're washed by the blood of Jesus. We've been made holy and righteous through Christ. So that now the Holy Spirit can come. That's why Jesus said the Holy Spirit couldn't come until I did this work. But now that I've completed the work, the Holy Spirit can come how I intended him to come. But friends, can I tell you, if we want to tap into the reservoir of the Holy Spirit, you've got to trim your wicks. If we've got to deal with some of those things in our life. Now, sometimes it may not be these deep, dark, secret sins. It might be an attitude problem. It might be offense. Holy Spirit ain't down with that. Did I say this the other day? I can't remember when I say stuff anymore. We, we We want the Holy Spirit to excuse our steps. The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, not excused by the Lord. And see, the issue with the prophetic is we expect God to excuse our steps. But he doesn't excuse your steps. He ordains your steps. That means that your steps need to be led by him. Well, I just can step. I can do whatever I want, and God has to excuse it. Trying to find that in the Bible. I haven't been able to find it. He anoints your steps. Friends, we've got to trim our wicks. We've got to walk in holiness and purity. Let me give you one last one. Are you ready? As I close. Number one, we have to what? Number two, we have to what? Number three, we have to... A life of holiness. 
Is a life careful to remove any part of our life that hinders the flame of the Holy Spirit? You know, the Bible says that you can quench the Spirit's fire and that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. But you know, can I tell you, can I tell you what's so significant about trimming your wick? Is that when you trim that wick, you know what it does? It refreshes the fire. It refreshes the fire. Friends, can I tell you, you want revival? Let's trim the wick. You want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? We got to, you want a fresh, you want a fresh fire in your life? You want a fresh fire in your marriage, in that which God's called you to? You want a fresh fire? You got to trim the wick. Can I tell you, if you repent, can we stop making repentance a bad, naughty word in the church. It's one of the greatest gifts that we have been given. It is one of the greatest privileges that we've been given is the ability to repent. Can I tell you something? Jesus doesn't have to accept your repentance, but the Bible says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. One of the greatest gifts. Why have we made it a bad thing? One of the greatest gifts we've been given is the ability to repent and get right with the Lord so that we can refresh the fires of our life. That's why I love it. My, one of the things that my dad has always exemplified to me is a quickness to repent. The last thing is we have to watch and pray. We have to be people that watch and pray. Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. It's probably one of the saddest stories in the entire Bible. One of the saddest stories, one of the saddest moments in the entire Bible happens right here. Jesus has already been telling his disciples, hey, there's some stuff that's about to go down. It's about to get cray-cray here. So Jesus leads him to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, come on, we're going we're gonna to pray. And he leads him even deeper. And, and he says this. He says, listen, this is what he says. He says, I need you to watch and pray. And he comes back and he finds them asleep. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Friends, if we're going to be a people that don't miss it, we got to watch and pray. I'm not, I'm not here to judge your prayer life. I'm here to encourage you that Jesus is leading us into a place for us to be ready so that we don't miss it. And even his disciples that lived day in and day out with him for three and a half years missed what he was doing because they weren't watching and praying. I want to be, I want to be at prayer. This place should be filled with prayer. Early morning prayer should be filled. Why? Because there's a people in Wasilla that are watching and praying. There's a people in Eagle River that are watching and praying. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Friends, I don't want you to miss it. So we need to be a people. We've got to contend against complacency. We've got to constantly remain filled up. We've got to trim our wigs.
watch and pray. You are not just the bride of Christ, but you're also bridesmaids that get to rejoice and celebrate the coming of the Lord, that get to usher in his presence, but also get to tell the world that he's here and that he's moving. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to casealaska.com and may God's face shine upon you.